So I thought I'd start off today by telling you a little story to help you get thinking about the topic of today. Jack and Jill both worked in major corporations. One day, Jack has the opportunity to embezzle thousands and thousands of dollars. He knows how to do it very well, and he knows he probably won't get caught. It's a very safe thing for him to do, very little risk to himself. And Jack finds this very, very tempting. And he goes back and forth on it for days, thinking, what should I do? Should I do it? Should I not do it? Finally, he decides not to embezzle the money. But on the other hand, Jill, one day, also sees a similar opportunity where she could embezzle thousands and thousands of dollars for, from her company. Again, she recognizes very little risk to herself, probably won't get caught. Jill is not tempted at all. She simply notices the possibility and continues on without even really thinking about it, doesn't really present a challenge for her. Both people did the right thing. The question to think about is, who is the better person? Jack had an opportunity for growth, and he made a difficult decision, and that's obviously very nice. Um, and he's become a better person through this, hopefully. But Jill wasn't even tempted. She already had the good character to make the good choice, and it was easy for her. Jack has some greed to deal with. Jill doesn't have any of that greed. Jack did the right action, but he desired the bad thing. Jill is a better person internally on the inside because she naturally desired to do the right thing. So today, we are talking about the concept of virtue and character, and we're going to be looking at the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5. The question is, what sort of person does God want you to be, and then how can we go about doing that? In the Bible, the fruits of the Spirit are found in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And if you've ever thought, you know, I'd like to memorize that list, there's a little YouTube video. I won't, I won't, I won't play it for you. It's a children's song, so it might, I've thought about playing it, but I thought, no, I want you to like me afterwards. So um, if you check it out on YouTube, uh, you will memorize the fruit of the Spirit if you watch that video. It's very repetitive, and it gets the little jingle stuck in your head, and you will have the fruit of the Spirit memorized after watching that one time. But the fruit of the Spirit, the point of the fruit of the Spirit is that it's less about the actions that you do and more about the inside of the person, developing your character. Before the, it gives the fruit of the Spirit in this passage, we'll read the passage soon, but before it gives the list of the fruit, it does give a list of bad things. Don't do these bad things, right? Just like th throwing some rules at you. But the main focus here in a lot of what we find in the New Testament and from the words of Jesus and from this passage is trying to line ourselves up to be the kind of person God wants us to be. If we do that, he will enable us to act the way God wants us to act. If you have the Holy Spirit within you, God will give you the strength to be a good person. So it's less focused on the actions and a lot more focused on the inside, the internal aspect, who you are, as opposed to just what you do. Simply focusing on actions can be very, very difficult. If you just try not to do any of the bad things, that can be really hard. And it seems almost impossible because the root problem is still there. For example, if you are an angry person, you will find it very difficult to act kindly, especially with the annoying people, right? You will find that very difficult, right? Nobody here, right? Nobody here is that annoying person. But uh, if we have an internal anger problem, 
that becomes incre increasingly difficult. So it, just trying to follow the rules feels like it's an impossibility, especially when you're a terrible person on the inside. If we want to become a better person, and we, we work on the virtue, internal virtue and good character, the fruits of the Spirit, and become a better person, it'll make it a lot easier to be a good, to be a good person and act well and be a, a kind and be acting with the fruit of the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit equips us with this, with the fruit. So the difference here is between good actions and a good character. Typically, when we say about somebody, we say, oh, they're a really good person. They do, they do good things. They're a good person. What we mean by that is they do good things, they don't do bad things. That's usually what we mean when we talk that way. I would say a better description of what a good person is is someone who has a good character. The focus here is on being good rather than on doing good things. Out of a good character will come good actions. It's not enough to just do good things. If your character is flawed, you will naturally fail a lot of the time. Virtue, having a virtuous character, will encourage those good actions. If you are good, doing the good thing will come naturally if you have that good character. So if we think again about Jack and Jill, Jack did the good actions, but he had a bad character and almost failed because of it. The temptation came because of the bad qualities in his character. Jill already had the good character, so she wasn't tempted at all, and she naturally did the right thing without having to struggle, without having to think of it. It came naturally because of the virtue within her. If you think about the opposite uh, sort of example, Suppose you have this inner struggle going on, and this person, they do all the right things. You think about somebody who does all the right things, but they don't have any of the virtues. They don't have any good character inside, but they manage, they struggle day and night, like, like you think about like the two sides, the good and evil fighting within them, and they have that inner struggle all the time. They feel angry all the time. They're drawn to lust continually, but they deny it. They love material possessions and desiring more things, but they deliberately don't buy anything and they hate it, right? They, they lack virtue, but they're doing all the right things. Would you call that person a good person? No. Does that sound like someone who loves the things of God? No. <laughs> it sounds like someone who hates living for God. So, as we go into the fruit of the Spirit, the context here in the, the passage that we read in Galatians 5, it's always good to look at the context of where is this passage coming from. So, the context here is Paul is writing to the church in Galatia, and he's writing this letter to encourage them. And their problem that they were struggling with is that there were some bad teachers that had come into this church, and they were teaching them. It's all about following the rules. It's all about following the Jewish law. That's the most important thing. So they were trying to get everybody to really focus on the rules of the Old Testament. So they were basically saying, yeah, yeah, Jesus saves you. Yes, we agree. Jesus saves you. But you, you really need to follow all these rules in order to really be saved. Yeah, you're not really part of the club unless you do everything in the law of Moses. And there was a big focus on circumcision, that circumcision gets you a free ticket into heaven or something like that. So that's the context that we find with Galatians 5. So let's read together. <clears throat> it is not for freedom that Christ has set... It is for freedom, sorry. <laughs> it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. 
Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You are trying to be justified by the law and have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace, for through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So here, first of all, the people in in Galatia are trying to live by the law. They're trying to follow all the rules. So first of all, it's impossible to follow all the rules. You will never be good enough. But, um, and if you think about circumcision, are, are you really thinking that you are now good enough to get into heaven just because you become circumcised? That's what he's saying. And then secondly, trying to follow all the rules is actually wrong. If you focus on the rules and think that's the most important thing, that's actually ignoring what Jesus did for you. It's not about the rules, it's about the grace. Through the Spirit, by faith, we await the hope of righteousness, it says, where the righteousness of Christ is imparted upon us. We get His righteousness. We don't earn it by doing a lot of good works. So if we want to do good, we are able to do good because the Holy Spirit dwells within us. That's largely the point of this. So the next, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go all the way and emasculate themselves. Extremely harsh statement, usually doesn't get read in church, but they're talking about circumcision and he's basically almost making a vulgar joke about it and saying like, these people are leading you so so astray, right? Don't listen to them. They're making you focus so much on this. So he's saying these false teachers are encouraging you to care about all the rules. You think, well, what are we supposed to do then? Aren't we supposed to follow all the rules? So then he continues. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. This is a very famous passage. We love uh, quoting this one, that the whole law can be summed up by love your neighbor as yourself. Instead of focusing on all the moral duties, it's more about the heart commitment. We're supposed to love people, and that will help us follow the law. And what do we notice about the fruit of the Spirit? Love is the first one. Jesus taught us to love each other. And if you are filled with the Spirit... You won't want the bad things, right? I I put it in bold here. If you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If you are filled with the Spirit, you are living each day empowered by the Spirit. You are allowing the Holy Spirit to work within you. 
you are acting in accordance with God and God's will and you're thinking about holy things, uh, you will naturally do what is right. You will not want to do the bad thing. It will sicken you. I think about some of the moments where I've been the most filled with the Holy Spirit and just say a, a, a chance where I've had a chance to share the gospel with somebody and evangelize. No temptation can touch me in that moment because I'm filled with the Spirit. I'm being used by God in those moments. So if we live by the Spirit, we will not even want to do what is wrong. We will naturally do what is good if we uh, are filled with the love of the Holy Spirit. So then, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. In other words, I'm not even giving an exhaustive list. You know what I'm talking about. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other." So how are we saved? We are saved by grace, not by works. Being saved means that you have the Holy Spirit within you, and the Holy Spirit guides you towards righteousness. The wickedness that it mentions, he says, if you have these things going on in your life, then you're not really being empowered by the Holy Spirit. You don't have the Holy Spirit within you in that, because the Holy Spirit will guide you in the fruit of the Spirit. A common view when people talk about religion is that it's all about the rules, you talk to somebody, I've talked to lots of different people about the gospel and about our faith, and in many cases, I've even had people flat out admit to me they don't want to become a Christian because it sounds boring. They've got to follow all the rules. If you talk to people about religion, it becomes all about the rules. Oh, you're just trying to follow all the different rules that you have to follow. So that largely misses the point of what Christ was about, about what the gospel is about, and what Christianity is about. This chapter does give a few rules of things to avoid, but the focus is on the character of the person. If you are a good person, you will be filled with the Holy Spirit, you will be empowered with the fruit of the Spirit, and following the rules will come naturally. And Jesus talks about this as well in Matthew 5. We we find the Sermon on the Mount, probably the most famous sermon ever, and Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and a large aspect of this sermon is saying to the Pharisees, as he did many times, you missed the point, right? You're, you're completely off in left field. You missed the point, Pharisees. So this has the blessed bees, they're called. Blessed be this person, blessed be that person. They're referred to as the blessed bees. And what do we find in this list? We find a lot of different things. Humility, meekness, righteousness, mercy, being pure, being peaceful. That sounds like a bunch of character qualities, a bunch of virtues that he's listening. He's not telling you a whole bunch of rules to follow. He's saying, this is the sort of person that you should be. Jesus also says in this passage that he wasn't coming to abolish the law. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, there's different things that that means to fulfill the law, but um, we won't go too much into that. But one of the focuses here is Jesus is trying to reorient our focus He's not trying to abolish the law and say rules don't matter anymore. He's saying you need to shift your focus. It's not about trying to follow all the laws. It's about the type of person that you are. And then 
he says, uh, one, a, a difficult passage at, for, at face value, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You can imagine the people there thinking, they're the most righteous people in the land. And you're saying they're not good enough and I need to be better? There's no way that's possible. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, do even more good things. Be even better at following the rules. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, you need to totally reorient your focus. It's not about, am I following all the rules rigidly? It's about the type of person that you are on the inside. It's a matter of the heart. And then Jesus really starts to hit at it. He, the, the very famous part where he says, you think it's, it's great that you're not a murderer? Like, well, congratulations, you haven't murdered anybody. Like, that's not the most important thing here. Don't even get angry. That's the real thing. Well, that's a heart matter rather than an action, a matter of actions. You think that you're great because you haven't committed adultery? I tell you, don't even lust. The Pharisees were focused entirely on the rules, which took away uh, focus from the virtues. Jesus is trying to help us bring our focus back to the heart and having a virtuous character. And Jesus' um, final teaching here that I want to go into, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So Jesus is trying to help them see, to reorient. It's not about the actions, it's about the character. And then how does he finish it up? Love finishes all things. Love, the first and most important of the fruit of the Spirit. If you love, first and foremost, you will naturally follow the laws. And then in another place, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and he's talking about their good actions, but their bad character. Another uh, passage in Matthew 23, verses 23 to 28. So here, he was talking about the focus on actions, but that the Pharisees were ignoring what's important. They were ignoring the virtues, and he even specifically mentions justice, mercy, faithfulness. So he's saying, okay, you Pharisees, you do a lot of the good actions, but your character is terrible. On the inside, you're garbage. You're good, you have good actions, but bad character. And he uses different analogies to sum this up. The two, that, the two that I have here, he says, it's like if you're washing your dishes and you wash the outside, but not the inside. Imagine all your cups got cleaned on the outside, but never the inside, and they were filthy on the inside. You don't want to use those cups, they're dirty, right? They may look nice, but the moment you try to use them, it's gross. Same with tombs. He said, you're like whitewashed tombs. You paint the tomb all nice and pure white so it looks great, but there's death on the inside. And that's what he's talking about with the Pharisees, where he's convicting them of this, saying, you're so focused on the outward appearance and on doing what's right, following all the rules, you've totally missed the point of what those rules are trying to teach you. Those rules are trying to guide you into a good character. So Jesus tries to bring that focus back. And then we also find in 2 Corinthians 3.6, uh, 3, Who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant? Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. What this is talking about is the Old Covenant versus the New Covenant. The, in, in a sense, the Old Testament and the, and the New Testament. Where in the old, um, old times, they just had the law. They were supposed to give sacrifices. But now in the New Covenant, Jesus has done that for us. So it's talking about this difference between following the rules and now what Jesus has brought about. And it says, the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The letter of the law versus the Spirit of the law. Trying to follow all the rules where that's your focus, that will kill you. But if you follow the spirit of the law, the concept of inward change, 
That brings new life to you. Jesus sums it up and says, love God and love others. If you do that, you will naturally uh, follow the whole law. The whole law is summarized by the character quality and virtue of love. And what's the first and most important of the fruit of the Spirit? Love. From a secular perspective, the non-religious person, they actually disregard value, uh, disregard virtue in a lot of senses. They don't focus on virtue. Virtue isn't really a thing. Um, they focus a lot more on actions. And in fact, virtue actually becomes a bad thing in the secular world. The secular understanding on um, being a good person is just don't do these few bad things. There's no concern for the inside. They might say th things like, you're saying, I have to change? How dare you tell me I need to change? I'm perfect just the way I am. I create my own identity. I can be whatever I want. Mind your own business. I'm not hurting anyone. Those kinds of attitudes from a secular mindset is focusing on their actions. I'm not doing the terrible things. I'm not a criminal. I can be whatever I want. I can do whatever I want as long as I'm not harming anybody. Don't you dare tell me that I need to change. Virtue is actually seen as a bad thing in that context. It's offensive to tell someone that they need to change the way that they are. They are focusing on don't do this and don't do that, but that's not good enough. It misses the larger point. Who we are impacts what we do. If you have good character, you will naturally do what is right. If you just focus on following the rules and you you're, have bad character on the inside, you will find it extremely difficult and likely even fail. So to get this point, I want to tell you another little story, this time from, from reality. It's a really interesting uh, case study that happened back in the 60s to see how much uh, character matters more than just following the rules. Back in the 1960s, um, ethicists had been thinking for a while about World War II. Now, like it had, World War II had passed, there had been a bunch of years, and people had started thinking about this. And ethicists were thinking about it, thinking, how could the Holocaust ever happen? How could people do that? It doesn't, doesn't make sense. These are, it, it, there were so many people involved. When we think of the Holocaust, we think, oh, it's just the monsters did that, as if they're different than us. They're not really human. But there were so many people in on it. How could this sort of thing happen? They were normal people. Regular working men would go home to their family. They loved their children. And then during the day, they were doing monstrously evil acts. How can these normal people commit such horrible crimes? So there was an experiment um, by Stan Stanley Milgram. It was a social psychology experiment. And they brought in regular people to be part of this little experiment, regular, regular Americans. And they said, one person is going to be the teacher, and another person is going to be the student. And there was a wall separating the teacher and the student so that they couldn't see each other. And the teacher would ask the student questions. And if the student got it wrong, the teacher would give them a little shock from a board. You can see the, um, I have the board there. That's Stanley Milgram, I believe, the guy that uh, orchestrated the whole thing. And so here's the electric shock board that they had. The electric shock, uh, shocks would go from 15 volts, and as the student got things wrong, they had to increase the voltage more and more and more, up to 450 volts. And they, they were told it wasn't harmful. I know. Anybody that knows anything about uh, like electrical work knows no, that, is, that is not the case. So they, the, the board... You
can't really read it here, but the board went from the left, things like slight shock, and then all the way on the right, it said danger, severe shock, and then after that, it just said XXX. <laughs> and so the trick here is the student is an actor. They weren't actually shocking anybody. So it's not, it's not a horrible case of violation of human rights or anything. But the student here is an actor. So no one was being shocked, but they would pretend like they were being shocked. So the teacher would ask a question, and the student would get it wrong, and then they'd push a button and you'd hear, and then he'd go, ah! And you hear the guy on the other side yell or grimace or something like that. And so here, <clears throat> the whole point is to see how far will a regular person push it. That teacher is a real person. They think they're really harming somebody. How far will they push it? The teacher really believes that this is happening. And don't worry, it's no longer legal to do this sort of thing. It was debated in ethics uh, circles for a long time after this. But interestingly, you can watch the tests online if you're interested. It's very interesting to watch. Now notice, there was no hostility involved. There was no benefit to the teacher. It's literally just a test. And they were told it was just a test. They made some predictions as to how this would play out. They had 40 subjects of, of teachers that would be zapping people. The, people, the scientists and people evaluating this said, oh, it's going to be like less than 4% of the, of the teachers, the less than 4% of the subjects are going to be willing to keep going once the student says stop. So once the student is saying, oh, stop, stop, it hurts, I don't want to do this anymore. Once they get to that point, oh, people will stop, only like 4%. One out, like one out of the 40, like less than one out of the 40, like no one's going to want to keep going once the person says, please stop. Then they said, oh, there will be basically no one, about 1% will be willing to give the highest shock where it goes to XXX. No one, bar barely anybody is going to be willing to go that far. And in fact, there was a component of racism here because they were bitter about World War II, and they said, oh, the Germans, they're going to be way more willing to uh, provide severe shocks. So they were going to do it with an American audience, with, with an American subjects first, and then move to, uh, to a German audience, because they figured the Americans are good, respectable people. They won't, shock a, they won't shock people and harm them, but we'll find out that the Germans are worse than us. That was their goal through this experiment. What they found, the actual results, shocked them. And people have been talking about this ever since in the literature. All of the subjects were willing to shock to the point that the person didn't even respond. You can watch in the films where they would go um, zap and the person would say, ow, and yell out, and then they would go zap and the guy would say, my heart's bothering me, I can't, I can't breathe properly, please stop, zap, please stop, ah, I can't breathe, like my heart's bothering me, zap, right? All of them went to that point, to the point where the person stopped responding as if they had been killed. Everybody went to that point. 65% of the subjects went to the point where they gave the strongest possible shock. The students were screaming, demanding to be let out, saying, my heart is bothering me, and then finally not responding, and the teachers would keep zapping them. But they didn't like it. They were trembling, they were biting their lips, they were sweating, they were obviously emotionally distraught by this. Every person involved in the test at some point stopped the test and said, like, okay, do we have to keep going? And they were told, yes. So they kept zapping them. All of them went through that. They were all willing to bring extreme harm. And then, um, after this, they realized uh, they didn't bother doing it with the Germans, uh, with a, a German subject group, because they realized there's just something very bad in humanity. 
And the goal here was to try to see that it's that how much humanity was willing to follow authority. That was the goal of this, of this subject. But I think that we learn a lot more than that. If you're focused on obeying the rules and just doing what you're told, you can very quickly become a monster. They were so focused on this that they, they would just do what they were told. They're focused on following the rules. That's what makes me a good person, following the rules. But if you have a good character, maybe something would be different. The one guy really stood out to me, this guy here. He was deeply concerned for the student on the other side of the wall. And he kept asking, can someone please go check on him? He's not responding. I'm just worried that some people can't take the shock, sir. And he's trying to be very polite. But he continues, shocking the person on maximum voltage. The person isn't even responding anymore over and over and over again, zapping them and zapping them and zapping them. The test concludes, and they ask the teacher, and they say, how do you feel about this? And he says, oh, I don't like this one bit. You just, they're like, yeah, but you, you kept zapping him. Oh, yeah, but I, I asked you if we could check on him, but, but you kept zapping him. And he says, they, that one point they ask him, really eye-opening moment, they ask him, is there anything that the student could have said that would have made you stop? And he looks confused by the question. What do you mean? It's like, is there anything that the student could have said or done that would have made you stop zapping him? And he looks confused. He goes, no. As if it was a foreign thought. Of course not. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I'm told. I'm going to follow the rule. He looks so confused. Such an interesting moment. And this is a normal guy, normal good guy, goes home to his family every night. These were normal people. The normal view of what morality is about is the do's and the don'ts. I follow all the rules. Who does that sound like? The Pharisees. The Pharisees were focused on following all the rules. They had bragging rights that they could follow all the rules. And this Milgram experiment, it shows us, yes, it's scary what blind submission to authority can do, but it also shows us people can become monsters if their heart isn't checked. Morality is more about virtuous character that guides us rather than following all the rules, which is what we find Paul writing to Galatia, and it's what we find Jesus talking about multiple times in his sermons. It's a focus of do what I'm told versus virtuous character. In Jesus' sermon, he says, you've missed the point of having rules. The rules are still important, but the more important thing is the inside of the person. If you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you will naturally want to do what is good. If you genuinely love, you will always follow the rules. In this Milgram experiment, imagine for a moment that the student is the person's spouse, that the guy providing the shocks, his wife is on the other side. You better believe the moment she said, stop the test, he's stopping the test. Not just because he's scared of his wife, that might be a part of it, but uh, like imagine getting home where you've been shocking her all day, right? But more so, he loves her. You love your spouse, you would stop very early. The moment she says, ah, you'd be like, okay, do you want to stop? We can stop, right? No, no, let's, let's keep going, shock. Okay, I'm ready to stop. Okay, we're done, we're done, right? They, they might be willing to push a little bit, but they would stop way sooner because of their love. There is no chance that a husband would go to the point of shocking the wife with the maximum voltage and she's not even responding anymore, right? There's, there's no way it would get to that point because they love them. Your character should be filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you have this internally, you will naturally 
act morally. So then the big question, how do I do that? How do I accomplish this goal? We often think of morality in terms of don't do this, don't do that. Instead, let's reorient our way of thinking into God's way of thinking, focused on virtuous character, so that our natural tendency is to act right. If you want to be a patient person, you need to consistently act patiently. Being patient needs to become a habit. Uh, we're all familiar with the name Aristotle. He was a famous uh, ethicist way, way back in the days before Christ, and he was a massive influence on ethics. And so Aristotle taught a lot about habits. That was his big thing on how we can, try, on how we can attempt to become better people. And the Bible supports this idea in many places. There's a lot of ways that the Bible is against a lot of the philosophical teachings of these people, but in some ways they got some things right. And here the Bible supports this. We see passages that talk about continually thinking on the things of the Spirit, having that be your focus in life, the thing that you're always thinking about. If you always act a certain way, you will slowly develop that as a natural inclination. If you're constantly submitting yourself to the Holy Spirit, choosing to be loving, choosing to be joyful, choosing to be patient, it will slowly become the natural disposition. So what sorts of things can you do, practically speaking, to encourage the virtues that you lack? Think to yourself, like, remember, you should memorize the fruits of the Spirit and reflect on them, pray about them, ask the Lord, which ones of these do I lack? What can I work on today? And be reflecting on that and thinking about it and focused on it intently, with intentionality, thinking, how can I work on this virtue to have a better character and become a better me tomorrow? As an example, suppose you realize that you're not a terribly patient person. One thing that you can do is join kids' ministry. Kids are annoying. You will very quickly learn patience if you have to deal with those annoying little... My, my kids aren't in the room, right? They don't know I'm calling them annoying publicly. But if you have to deal with kids, it'll push you in one direction or the other. Either you'll become a more angry person or you'll become a more patient person because you're testing yourself, you're equipping yourself, you're encouraging yourself in the right direction. <clears throat> so if we want to become better, we want to become a good person, we want to lose the bad habits that we've developed and we want to develop some good habits. We want to weed out those qualities that keep us from being like Jesus Christ and we want to develop the good habits that Jesus taught us about, the good qualities. So as an example of a bad habit, um, I think about something like uh, cussing and swearing and vulgarity. It went, if you have a trouble with this and you think, oh, you know, I really do have a foul mouth, I need to work on that, when you swear, you catch yourself. You say, okay, I don't want to talk like that. You catch yourself, you try to use a different word. Maybe you have a swear jar or something or you get your friends and family that they, they punch you in the shoulder every time you say it, or something like that. You do something, something to try to equip yourself to stop that bad habit. You take an intentional goal in mind, saying, I want to weed this part of my life out. And you intentionally work on that and choose, choose to do something differently. <clears throat> Over time, this becomes easier and easier to the point that it uh, be, the habits become your natural state. You develop a virtuous character, and you, depending on the Holy Spirit, you develop the virtues, the fruits of the Holy Spirit. 
And then secondly, you also want to be constantly praying to God to fill you up with these qualities. They're not natural things that you just work harder. You can work, it does fall on you, but it's not just things that you work harder and get at. You pray for the Holy Spirit to guide you and lead you and equip you. So pray to the Lord for these things. Memorize them. Memorize the nine fruits of the, Holy, uh, of the, fruits of the Spirit and keep that as part of your daily prayer life, reflecting on those things. Lord, what can I work on today? Keeping your mind on spiritual matters. And then also, we can be an encouragement to each other to that part of why we have church is for us to spur each other on, for us to encourage each other. We are not islands, right? We are not doing it all on our own. We have friends around us that encourage us in the right direction and try to accept that, right? I've had different moments in my life where I've received correction and different moments in my life where I've tried to give correction. It's a very difficult and unpleasant thing, but that's part of why we have each other in our lives. So to conclude, I want to leave you with a quote from C.S. Lewis, just because everybody loves a good C.S. Lewis quote. And he had a really good knack for putting things in a fresh light, for rewording something and helping you see something from a, a new perspective. So he was talking about this idea of habits, of developing habits, and how that can influence our character and our virtue. And he said, good and evil both increase at compound interest. That is why the little decisions you and I make every day are of such infinite importance. The smallest good act today is the capture of a strategic point from which a few months later you may be able to go on to victories you never dreamed of. An apparently trivial indulgence in lust or anger today is the loss of a ridge or a railway line or a bridgehead from which the enemy may launch an attack otherwise impossible. Our small acts build upon each other. If you've developed bad habits, it becomes more and more difficult to do otherwise until it's become a habit, and then you can't do otherwise, and you're trying to kick the habit. You naturally will do what is wrong. It will come easily. For example, if you respond in anger over and over and over again, you become an angry person. If you want good habits, it will become normal and natural for you to do the right thing. When something difficult comes along and you've developed a virtue, you're already oriented towards doing the right thing, towards the right action because of what's internal. It becomes less difficult to do the right thing and temptation ceases to have a hold on you. This is what it means to be virtuous. This is what it means to have the fruit of the Spirit in your life, to be oriented towards the ways of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's less about what God wants you to do and more about what he wants you to be. So just to summarize here, focus on the virtue, on the fruit of the Spirit. Less about what you do, more about who you are. You should try to memorize it and pray for it daily. Reflect on it. Think about it. Which do I need to work on? That's part of the prayer life as well, asking God, which do I need to work on? And then, all of us, each other, encourage each other in virtue. And then, develop good habits and destroy the bad habits. So let me pray for everyone today as we wrap up. God, I pray for everyone here that you would encourage them in the fruits of the Holy Spirit, that you would uh, convict all of us in the areas that we need conviction. Guide us, God, to be more like Jesus Christ every day, Help us to have that as a focus. Help us to have that as our prayer life. 
lead us to encourage one another, and lead us to accept that encouragement, which is difficult. Help us, Lord, to have the humility to accept each other's encouragement and correction and conviction, Lord. And I pray that you would guide us and help us to improve daily to become more like your Son, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.